Welcome to Linux for Everyone, the podcast that is no longer being controlled by Jason Evangelo. It is now being controlled by Michael and Ryan of Destination Linux. We've taken over. It's ours. This is hey, our hey, podcast. Hey, 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 hey. What's going on? Uh, nothing. Um, we just wanted to pretend to be you for an episode. Hey, well, welcome home, Jason. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> welcome. Welcome to my show. <laughs> Well, we've invaded for a good reason. We have we have something we want to tell the community of Linux for everyone, and we think they're going to really like it. Yes, we're we're actually going to be uh, doing an announcement. Uh, well, this is I guess this is an announcement of an announcement of an announcement. That's anyway. We're going to be doing a live stream on the fifteenth this coming Sunday. That we're going to be making a big announcement for the Destination Linux podcast, and I think everybody should like put away whatever they're going to be doing on their schedule, just clear it out completely, and be sure to get there on the live stream. That's right, and it's not a secret. Linux for everyone and Destination Linux, we share a lot in common. Jason, you've been on our show, we've been on your show, we've all talked about purposefully focusing on building communities that are kind, inclusive, and passionate about open source and this announcement is related directly to that. So you don't want to miss it. September 15th, it's going to be huge. And I am 100% endorsing this announcement because I've known about it for a long time. And I can't wait for everyone to find out. You've done such a great job keeping it a secret. But now we get to let it out of the bag on September 15th. Don't miss it, people. Well, since you guys are here, would you like to stick around for a little bit longer and talk about a few things? Sure. Let's do it. Absolutely. Olá, eu sou Matheus Fantinel e estamos escutando Linux for Everyone no Brasil. Welcome home! Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Linux for Everyone, a podcast about desktop Linux, open source software, and the people creating and enjoying it. My name is Jason Evangelo, and no matter what Ryan or Michael tell you, I am the host of this podcast. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for being here. It's awesome to have you along for the ride. And I just want to say, as I say in every episode, that I, I sincerely appreciate all of the feedback, all of the uh, both positive and constructive criticism, the suggestions, you amazing patrons who are supporting this show with your hard-earned money, and everyone who's listening and downloading, even if you're not interacting, uh, even if you're just enjoying it start to finish, and then waiting until next week. I, I really appreciate everybody who's in the mix. So before I turn Ryan and Michael's microphones back on, um, I want to get a little bit of housekeeping out of the way. And just drop a couple tidbits of news that uh, don't really have time to cover here on this episode, but that I did write about at Forbes. And a quick discovery of the week, and then the three of us are going to get into a discussion about Purism's Librem 5. First of all, if this is maybe your first time listening to the show, I want to let you know how to get in touch with me and how to get in touch with the rest of the community. If you want to email me for any reason, whether it's a suggestion or you just need to get something off your chest, the email address is linuxforeveryone at pm.me. 
I've also been getting more and more into Mastodon lately. And so I opened up a account for the show over there at the Fostodon instance. So you can find it at Linux, the number four, everyone at Fostodon.org. But if you just want one place to go and find all of the points of contact, that is linuxforeveryone.fireside.fm. There you can find out you know, how to subscribe. Uh, you can see past episodes. You can get links to donate if you want via Patreon or LibrePay. All the social links, the, the uh, Telegram, Discord, everything. All right, let's get into our discovery of the week. You know, we live in a time now where everything is becoming digital and on demand. And a lot of the, I I would call them treasures of uh, the early days of the internet are being lost. And they're being lost because Flash is going away, or in many cases has already gone away. So many uh, early online experiences, and especially games, were built on Flash And there is now a project that is aiming to archive and collect and highlight as many of those games as possible. It is called Flashpoint, the Web Game Preservation Project, and you can find it at bluemaxima.org slash flashpoint. And I'll just read a snippet from their homepage. Internet history is important, and content made on plugins like Adobe Flash and platforms like HTML5 are important not only to internet culture, but games history as well. This project is dedicated to preserving as many games and animations as possible that run on web plugins and browsers so that they aren't lost to time. Now, I will say up front, right now, Flashpoint is only available for Windows 7 and higher. However, the team is looking for Linux testers. That is a platform they want to release on. And they're discussing that in their Discord channel. You can find a link to that Discord at bluemaxima.org slash Flashpoint. But here's what you can look forward to when this actually releases on Linux. Flashpoint Ultimate is what they call the full package, ready for use offline. It is a 158 gigabyte package. I am very curious to see just how many experiences are in there, how many uh, animations and games. And then there's also Flashpoint Infinity, which you can download. It's, It's kind of a minimalist build, so you can download games on demand. So again, if you want to relive a little slice of web history and you want to help expand this project to other platforms, uh, you can email Flashpoint directly The email address is flashpoint at bluemaxima.org, or of course, you can join the Discord server. Well, I had the privilege to write about Manjaro over at Forbes yet again this week, and last time, it was about about Manjaro's response to the whole free office versus LibreOffice kind of controversy that, uh, that came out of their decision to include... SoftMaker's free office alongside LibreOffice as an installable option. And as you know, that situation was actually our first community voice segment. This time around, it is some, in my opinion, incredibly stellar news for the Manjaro team and the future of that distribution and the users who love that distribution. So they've been around since about 2011. It's an Arch-based 
Linux distribution with the tagline, enjoy the simplicity. They have basically tried to become a approachable, accessible kind of gateway to Arch. And uh, they pitch it to a wide variety of users. You know, you can be advanced or a beginner to Linux and probably have a good time with Manjaro. Before I even started this show, I was doing a Linux gaming report where I was evaluating various distros and Manjaro was the one to beat just as far as ease of use and driver installation and uh, easily installable options for the gamer. But I'll jump to the point. Today, or as, as, as of Sunday, Manjaro Linux is no longer just a Linux distribution. It is officially transforming into a company. Manjaro developer Philippe Mueller made the announcement on their forum, and it's a big one. They announced the formation of an established company to enable full-time employment of maintainers and exploration of future commercial opportunities. The big takeaway immediately is that uh, both Philippe Mueller and developer Bernard Landauer can now work on Manjaro full-time, and they've got an eye towards taking on even more employees down the road. There's, there's a lot of moving pieces to this announcement, so if you want to kind of absorb it, I have broken it down over at Forbes, and uh, I'll have the link to that article in the show notes, or you can just fire up Start Page or DuckDuckGo and search for Manjaro Forbes, and it'll probably be the first result that you get. Okay, I will stop ignoring Michael and Ryan. Let's turn their microphones back on and talk about something a bit controversial. So let me pick your brain on something. Purism, the Librem 5. I'm familiar with Purism from the uh, Librem 1 product, and I'm familiar with them by way of their Librem 15 laptop that I've done some coverage on, and, and of course, uh, PureOS, which is their Linux distro that comes with that. But since I'm not you know, intimately aware of, of all of the dynamics of this project since its inception. I wanted to get a little bit of background from you guys so that you can give us your perspective on the Librem 5 since the beginning and and kind of bring us into where we are now. Well, the beginning was the announcement for the crowdfunding in 2017. I don't remember exactly which month it was, but they announced they were going to be doing a crowdfunding and the early bird of what the crowdfunding was like, I think $500 to get the device. And this was a goal to create a private, privacy-oriented uh, smartphone that didn't use Android or iOS. It used the Linux as a Linux kernel and the Linux distro concept uh, by basically a GNU Linux uh, distribution on the phone. And they're using the PureOS um, distribution that they made for the desktop and trying to repurpose it for their phones. I think you have to go back to understand why the concept of this phone is so important because as Michael said, they launched this Kickstarter and all they blew through the initial uh, asking of what their, their goal right. of $2.5 million. They, and, and it was a 60 day campaign. So, but the, the point of all of this is Android OS. And I, we've talked about this a lot on destination Linux, but because my career for 20 years is in telecom. Android and iOS are not representative of privacy and security fully. We, we talk about it on as a, a rotten apple versus a rotten apple with worms inside comparing Android and iOS. Uh, you know, there are a lot of reasons that you can go into from the operating system on the Android side not being updated across the devices in a way where 
the security updates and patches and things are getting across to the, the multitude of families due to telecoms or due to the phone device manufacturers holding back the latest versions of Android and security patches. So you have a whole fractured segment of Android users on various versions of Android, and that creates tons of security issues. We all know about the privacy problems that Google brings into the ecosystem. So that's an issue in itself. iOS tries to claim it's more private and more secure, but you've seen just recently in recent weeks, the issues that are out there with iOS as well. Although because they're closed garden, they tend to have a lot more control over the operating system distribution. And most people are on the latest um, OS versions, but they also uh, quickly make the hardware for older phones irrelevant. So if you have, for instance, an iPhone 6 and the new iOS is coming out, you're not going to be able to get those security updates. So they have a similar problem, not as bad. But the point is, a lot of people do not view Android, even though it gets marketed sometimes as, hey, Linux is on your Android phone. Everything we expect from our desktop, the privacy, the security, the patching, none of that happens on Android. Purism comes out here with this phone and says, hey, we're going to give you a fully open source operating system on a phone. And we're going to redo this campaign. And $2.5 million later, everyone is super excited. You are a lot of people you can see are super excited about getting their hands on a truly uh, a product that would actually represent the values we hold in Linux for privacy. And there's more personal information on your phone for most people than there even is on your desktop. So where do we need it the most? We need it on our phones. So that's why this is such an important project. And then there's the but. There's been some mishaps here a, a little bit, and I'll let Michael get into that. Before we before we get into that, I want to ask you guys, and again, this is because it's it's a bit before my time, what is the fundamental difference between what purism is trying to accomplish with the Librem 5 and what Canonical failed with? Well, very, there's a big difference in the fact that the Canonical, uh, uh, the Ubuntu Edge phone, for example, was uh, this basically Ubuntu Touch was the name of this operating system. Ubuntu Edge was the name of the first phone they were trying to do. And they did a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo for the same kind of thing. And they raised like 15, I think maybe even $20 million, uh, but they needed a goal of $32 million in order to do it. And the reason why it's a big difference is because just a few years later, it was more practical because essentially Canonical was ahead of their time. They wanted to do something that wasn't possible in the same sense that, you know, when you get a laptop from Purism, they're not manufacturing the entire thing. They have an ODM that provides the laptop hardware and then they make tweaks from it from there. There wasn't there there wasn't at the time a ODM for phones that you could practically do that for Canonical. So they had to just basically just build their entire infrastructure themselves and build their whole phone. That's why they needed so much money. Whereas Purism didn't need to do that because at that point there were people making ODM stuff for phones, so they could be benefit from that aspect. They don't have to build everything from scratch or manufacture everything from scratch in the same way that Canonical had to. So they had to put in a lot more money and a lot more effort and build out a system a lot with a requirement because there wasn't really a mobile OS at the time that it could do majority of what was wanting to be done. And like, for example, there was Mamo and Mego and stuff like that, but they were very limited in a lot of ways. 
And that's why they decided to make their own OS. So it was kind of a situation where Purism had a lot of things already available to them, so they didn't have to put as much money in, whereas Canonical had to start from a very, uh, you know, a very low rung on the ladder. I mean, and that is no small feat. Um, designing, prototyping, manufacturing something from scratch. Yeah, I mean, that's why they needed, and they also needed a certain amount of money that was just allow them to get their foot in the door because they still would have to invest their own money. So that $32 million was just like a starter point to prove that the community wanted this and that the the ecosystem and market could you know sustain this being done. But that would not be the amount of money they needed to do everything. There would probably be over $100 million to do with everything they needed to do at the time. So now that they don't have... Now, Purism doesn't have to deal with that such a huge mountain to climb and uh, that's why Canonical didn't didn't wasn't successful because they wanted to do it so so early in the terms of like infrastructure being available. Purism's crowdfunding campaign certainly proved that the demand for this kind of privacy oriented smartphone is still there. I mean, considering that they have such a lower profile than a company like Canonical, uh, I think that pulling in two point five million is still a really great accomplishment. But then along the way, there have been some delays. Yeah, you could say that, like quite a few. Uh, at one point, they when they first did this announcement of the crowdfunder, they did, uh, I think they said January 2019 was when it was going to come out. Then they pushed it back to February 2019. Then they pushed it back to April 2019. Then they pushed it back again to quarter three of 2019. And then they announced the thing that they're doing now. All right, so let's get into the controversy surrounding the Librem 5 this month. Because... Technically, Purism has fulfilled their promise of shipping this phone by the end of Q3 2019, right? Well, I would say that technically speaking, yes, they met they, they shipped a Librem 5, not the one people paid for necessarily, uh, because people paid for a completed phone and this is not going to be a completed phone. Even on their announcement, they say that this one is going to be individually milled. It's going to not have the keycaps finished. It's not going to be, there's going to be a loose fit. So the stuff is not going to be put together properly, uh, et cetera, et cetera. The software is not there. That, that sounds like, I mean, to me, that sounds like a prototype in this industry. That's called a prototype. Isn't well, it? yeah, a prototype can be multiple levels of prototype. So people, some people look, look at prototype being like a mock-up sort of thing or, uh, but this is kind of like an engineering sample where it's it's got to the point where it is usable, it is functional, but it's not refined. So you could use it as a thing that it's supposed to be, but it's not really ready to be mass production. And that's what the engineering samples are for, because they typically like show how it's made and then say like here's how we can iterate it on the next batch to make sure it gets better and better. And then after that, after it gets to the point where it's the product that people paid for, then you ship it. Uh, where do the backers stand? The people who have invested. That initial $2.5 million, what are their options for it? Well, their options are basically that every single person who's a backer will be called by the Le- the Purism team. Uh, they said this in their blog post that they will be calling everyone to find out, well, like, to verify their address and everything, and also find out which batch they want to be included in, whether they want to get a not ready phone or the actual phone they paid for. So what's interesting about this is, in a way, right, by giving you that option, the backers have the opportunity to say, hey, I'm not interested in batch Aspen, which is their September 24th through October 22nd batch. 
where you have the loosely fit components and individually milled cases and things along those lines. I, I'll, you know, get on board for the last batch on here because there's a lot of batches, which is batch fur, which is the most interesting one because instead of just having a completed case and everything with this initial run done, they're saying the batch fur, which is quarter four of 2020, actually comes with a new CPU in this. So they, they are actually upgrading the device, the iteration family in that last batch. But of course, you've got to wait another year before you can take advantage of that. I mean, if I was a backer of this thing, I would be at this point very torn between that you know, prestigious feeling of having one of the first ones in the world and waiting for something that's actually more polished and finished. And I feel like that's that's giving my opinion is that's that's a that's a tough choice to to give to the people who made this uh, possible. I think that it's not really a tough choice because they shouldn't be giving the choice in the first place because they shouldn't be doing this at all. But I think the fact that if you look at the when they did the dev kits, if you wanted to purchase a dev kit for yourself and not your like if you were part of a project like Ubuntu Touch, they were given dev kits. But if you wanted to purchase your own dev kit, it cost four hundred and I think four hundred and twenty dollars or something like that. And if you purchased as an early backer of the phone and the, and the before they even started doing prototypes and it was just the the crowdfunder, it was a five hundred dollar price tag. So essentially you're getting a, a dev kit that's wrapped in a in a case. Well, you know, dev kits can be attached to a big board. They're not, sure. and this but I'm is, saying the price is basically the same. Have they not posted any photos of what these initial batches look like? They have not. They have posted photos of the things taken apart and in, in the pieces. They have not actually posted a photo of what it looks like. The only thing they actually have of like a phone that resembles a phone is uh, is like just render, you know, rendered images. They're not actual devices. That sounds like a complete gamble. I would say so. It is in essence, but I think, you know, we realize, and Michael and I have talked about this, that Purism is shipping something. So that makes them better than a lot of Kickstarters. Because how many Kickstarters out there have said, oh, we're going to do this, and then nothing comes of it? People are do have an option. They're going to get a device. And Purism has done this with the laptops. They also delayed their laptops, as I understand, although I don't think I was in Linux during that time. They did. Like this. But eventually people did get their laptops and it looks like Purism with their, you know, I understand that they may only have as little as 30 employees doing this. They've bitten off a lot and $2.5 million raised. I don't know what the new total is, is really not a lot of money in the scheme of things. When you think about device manufacturing, building a complete operating system, it's clear they bit off more than they can chew. At the same time, we need solutions like this in in for privacy for security and i'm happy there's a company out there working on it there are multiple companies working on this problem right now pine 64 being being another one absolutely probably being your best example of and and very honestly similar specs uh for the device a great example of one where i have a lot of faith in pine they when they announce something and when they're going to release it it generally happens and it meets or exceeds expectations. Whereas, you know, Purism's trying to do the right thing here. And I don't want to eat our own by going out there and just beating up on them. But at the same time, there's probably much better project management that could be had within this company to really understand what they are taking on and 
do things a little bit slower. Like Michael said when we were talking about this offline uh, yesterday, you know, if they would just come out and admit, look, we bit off more than we, ch- we could chew. We're sorry. We're running out of funds. This was more than we ever expected. Here's a solution for you. Maybe we do this batch. But what they've kind of done instead is this PR move to act like this is totally normal. And it's not normal, right? You've clearly missed your deadline because you're giving people half-finished phones with Batch Aspen. Now, come Batch Chestnut in December and Batch Dogwood, it looks like there's a lot more refinements and your actual phone's going to be put together in a reasonable way. But what's interesting is the Twitter community, based on just, again, anecdotal looking at people's comments, there's a lot of people who say they want this initial run. So... In some ways, you know, Linux community and the open source community is full of hackers. People like me who like to tear things apart and build our own cases or do our own things. And so there's probably is a group of people who are going to reach this, but they need to call it what it is. Batch Aspen is, they missed their deadline again. And this is kind of a... a a pe- maybe a peace offering of some kind? Yeah, maybe something like that. No, they could just say it's for it's for the hacker types. It's for the people who like to tinker. That's where I really appreciate the approach that Pine64 took with the original Pinebook, right? They were like, look, here's this $99 laptop. This is, not, this is not meant to be your daily driver. This is for tinkerers and for hackers. Here are the problems with it. Like, they were so forthcoming with its weaknesses. And, and to a certain extent, they've even done that with the Pinebook Pro, which is a, I mean, drastically better product for the extra $100. But they've even said... Look, there might be a few dead pixels on here. You know, you might want to wait a little while uh, as as while we refine the process of of manufacturing this laptop. Purism could benefit from even a little bit more transparency than they have right now. Well, I think that's where people get frustrated is they keep saying they're transparent in the whole release. It's like we're so transparent, that's why we're doing this. Other companies don't do this. We're so transparent, but I don't view this type of announcement as transparent it's almost very similar to when they released their suite of privacy apps and the initial announcement didn't let people know that they were essentially in a lot of cases kind of rebranded now they since fixed that but it's kind of the same thing over and over again with purism where they just they're trying to do things that we all believe in and want but they just keep missing the mark on their marketing yeah they're just not they're just not being forthcoming they're not they're like they're being transparent about things when stuff goes wrong like the times where they had the issue with the CPU or whatever or the times where they're waiting for the MX8 and that kind of thing yeah that's that's transparent but also they're transparent with a PR spin attached like cuz they're they're saying that this thing is it's happening like this we we've met our shipping date and like no no you haven't like Ryan said, the point of this conversation is not to drag purism through the mud, but sort of to to give people a couple different perspectives on what purism is trying to do. That being said, are you both still rooting for this product and, and rooting for this company? And will you, I guess, will you consider buying the Librem 5 when it is more refined? This is part of my life. I've been in telecom since I was 17 years old and seeing the privacy be taken away from people understanding the behind the scenes of what goes on with a lot of these companies we've trusted with our most private data to me is horrific to me the most needed element for privacy and security for a true linux solution is on the mobile market 
And that's why at the very beginning, back when I first joined Destination Linux, it wasn't but maybe a couple episodes in, I started talking about the need for Linux to have a true phone solution operating system that's actually private where people are back in control of their information because iOS and Android don't cut it. And that is what a bunch of companies are doing like Pine, like Ubuntu Touch, like E. Um, There are a bunch of companies working on this problem. Uh, And it seems in a lot of cases, unfortunately, there's some fragmentation in them working on it. And there are trillion-dollar organizations that have tried and failed to get into the phone market. So I think at very best, we're going to have some niche markets for people starting out that care about privacy to launch something like this. So I'm so excited that Purism is in this arena. I want them to be successful more than you could possibly imagine. At the same time, they really desperately need to work on their marketing and project management because they are actually hurting the cause, I think, by doing things like this. And uh, if they can turn themselves around, if they can get a good project manager in there that can set realistic dates with the teams and maybe break down things into smaller chunks so that they're not consistently missing then, you know, Purism could be a company as beloved as, say, System76 or, you know, Pine is. But I do want to say this. I think we should not be going out there, especially on major public forums, just ripping into them like I'm seeing some individuals who are prominent in the Linux community doing on their Twitter. It's fine to be a little cynical and ask questions, but it needs to really end there and not, you know, drag them through the mud. Cause at the end of the day, they at least are delivering something. They didn't take people's money and run. They are working hard on this. And I think they just need to be more transparent with us because we all understand how hard this is what they're trying to do. So if someone comes to you tomorrow and says, I am tired of iOS, I am tired of Android. I want a privacy respecting open source, Linux-driven phone tomorrow, what do you tell them? I would first ask, are there any specific apps that you require? And then they tell me what those apps are. And if those apps are available on something else, I would say probably a Ubuntu Touch. If they're not available and they're not web app friendly, I'd be like, um, I'll get back to you on that. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of options. I I would say waiting for Pine64 would be one. If you're very dependent on apps, I think Lineage is a step in the right direction. Of course, you have to kind of uh, root your own phone and and mess with that disaster. Sailfish, I think, is quite amazing. I love that E out there actually sends you a phone. You have the ability to buy a phone with E installed on it, so you don't have to deal with the bootloaders and don't have to be a super geek to figure it out. So there there would be options, but everybody's need for a phone is different. One of my favorite people comes from my lug group is a well-known uh, penetration tester for networks. He carries a flip phone with him. You know, he he won't even use a smartphone. That and that's his realm of security because he knows what goes on behind the scenes. And so, you know, there's just a lot of misses. There's just so much opportunity and there's a lot of miss from the Linux community as a whole to really have a solution here, but we're finally seeing it come together. There are even devices out there. Uh, Noah really likes the Sailfish OS out there, but there are devices coming. I heard, he he almost convinced. I mean, he sold me on that on your last episode. 
Yeah, he, he was he was he was on fire talking about that. I agree. However, I would like to point out one thing that he said that seems people people have missed. He said it's not a replacement for Android. It's a phone that he yeah. likes yeah. for the desktop aspects that he can do with it, separate from he's he's saying he likes it as a as a replacement for a laptop as a mobile device. There's also a device out there that I sent to Noah that he got super excited about that coming from Gemini, which is basically a phone with the keyboard back in that allows you to have Sailfish OS and other open source. Uh, Debian is one and Linux Kali that they're looking to come with this device coming from Gemini, which a lot of people love the Gemini builds out there. So there's a lot of people entering this arena. I'm not quite sure at this moment I would... uh, say, go get a Purism uh, phone, but that may change. You know, when we see these later iterations of the phone or be able to look at what they've accomplished, then, and I would be happy to, you know, fall on my sword and say, I was wrong. This wasn't as half-baked as we thought, or they led us to believe this is great. I hope I'm wrong. I hope we're wrong. And I hope Purism's successful. So I think as a community, it's important for us not to write off Purism and be supportive of the goals they're trying to achieve in this space. But at the same time, you know, ask questions, hold them accountable for what they're doing, because it's, it's playing into the bigger picture here. And if people get disenchanted with what purism is doing, they might give up on this whole open source phone, privacy respecting phone project altogether, and they might just look elsewhere. Absolutely. We have to keep in mind that other companies are watching. Other companies for the first time are really getting involved in Linux and open source and they're watching the community. They're watching people's reactions. And we have to be cognizant of the fact that if we all look like a bunch of, you know, rabid dogs beating up on purism or any other group for that matter, that they may think twice, maybe I don't want to get into that uh, arena uh, with that community. So I think, though, we do have to be allowed to, like you said, ask questions. I think we can be a little bit critical, but at the same time, the the end result is not to beat up on a company or tear them down, but hopefully give them some clues as to ways they can get better. Purism should also be watching us and how we're reacting and, and act accordingly. I think the biggest issue that I have is is just because Purism is not treating us the way that we expect to be, and the way that they promote to us, they, they know who their audience is. So they know that the audience is fully aware of all the problems with the Android and the iOS, is fully aware with the problems with the Windows side of things and the privacy uh, violations that are everywhere. The audience they're going for is aware, but they're treating it like we're not aware of things. And they're not being upfront about it. And I think that's why I have a problem. I don't want them to fail. I want Purism to be a part of the community and to be successful. But they have to remember that they're a part of a community that is aware. Well, guys, thank you very much for showing up and uh, hijacking the show. And, You're welcome. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, thank you. Thank you for giving us and me that that perspective, both of your perspectives, because this is a completely new world for me. And I'm just trying to sort of absorb it and filter it and and present it to my audience in a way that they will understand if they haven't been along for this whole ride too and i I think you guys do an excellent job of that so thank you thank Thank you you. and i'm sure we will be hearing a lot more from both of you in the very near future very near future absolutely 
Anything else you guys want to plug before you say goodbye? Uh, DestinationLinux.org. Be sure to go check out our podcast. It's a fantastic podcast. It's a conversation between four people who love Linux and have a passion for Linux. So if you're interested in Linux uh, because they're listening to this podcast, that's also another great one to check out. And also be sure to check out the interview we had with Jason on uh, Destination Linux. I'll have a link. We'll Hopefully we'll have a link in the show notes for that. Uh, Ryan, how about you? Just the same thing. Make sure you tune in on September 15th where we have a big announcement ready for everybody. Yep. What September 15th, Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern. Check it out. Well, everybody, that is going to do it for Episode 8 of Linux for Everyone. Thanks again for being here, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I do, of course, owe you another song from the source. This time around, it is coming from 10 of 11, and he composes his tracks in LMMS, So he uses that as his main digital audio workstation, tries to make the overall mix as good as he possibly can, and then he exports all of the stems into Ardor. And then in Ardor, he sculpts, edits, cuts, and arranges the tracks and EQs the overall mix. This is his track, Guess Who's Back, and you can find 10 of 11 on SoundCloud and Bandcamp. Links, of course, will be in the show notes at linuxforeveryone.fireside.fm. And just a quick reminder, definitely be sure to check out that Destination Linux live stream September 15th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You are not going to want to miss that. And stay tuned for Episode 9, big, big show coming up with Code Weavers. Until next time, gang, take care and take care of each other.